so good to be part of all God's doing in the house. We've got your Bibles on up to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, I'll be there in just a minute. I'm going to start with uh, Matthew 11, though, and Jesus saying, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For the past three weekends, I've taught about living in harmony with God, and one of the key thoughts revolved around our choices to receive Jesus' yoke and then to stay yoked with Jesus rather than getting disconnected from Jesus and unequally yoked with a substitute. I was thinking about the wooden beam of a yoke this week, and, and as I was thinking about it, all of a sudden, in an instant, I was transported to uh, a scene from a movie. I think it was Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, and it's Jesus carrying the, the beam of the cross through the crowded streets of Jerusalem with all the cheers the jeering, the different things that were going on from the crowd. He had been beaten beyond recognition, yet there he was. I don't know how he carried it as far as he carried it. But eventually he couldn't make it all the way. Simon Cyrene was pulled out of the crowd and it carried it to the top. And part of Jesus' take my yoke upon you is an invitation to lose our lives for his sake. As always, he's already done the heaviest lifting. But we still have our part to do. Jesus' full invitation is important. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Yes, Jesus did say only those who lose their life for his sake will truly find life. And in God's eyes, life has always been about each of us being positioned to become the fullest expression of who we're created to be. God always knew that we would need to learn and keep learning from him as well as with him. Jesus's imagery was purposeful. A yoke puts two animals together so they can pull a load without incurring any injury. And although the space between the animals depends on the type of work, usually the closer they are together, the better they work as a team. So in light of all that, listen to Matthew 11 from the message. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. As we go through our lives, it's God's desire for us to learn those unforced rhythms of grace. We can see from the ways he has walked and talked and taught people since the beginning of time that his plan involves relational learning. In a recent Brilliant Perspectives post from Graham Cook's ministry, they pointed out that relational learning requires us to grow in both knowledge and experience. They wrote, if you enter into truth through the door of knowledge, be sure to leave through an encounter experience with Jesus as that truth. If you have a spiritual encounter, enjoy it. But when that divine immersion lifts... Follow it through by studying the scriptures and other good kingdom teaching resources. I think that whole process is so important. We're called to embrace spirit and truth. Sometimes we can just grab a truth and hold on to a truth and disconnect from the spirit part of it. And what ends up happening there is a, is a, a kind of a legalism that forms and we end up getting information in our head, but it hasn't made the 18 inch drop from our head into our hearts. And so it really isn't ours. We can talk about it. We had the vocabulary for it, but it's a knowledge that puffs up rather than 
a love that builds up and a knowledge that's for our good. Experiential knowledge is the key. That's the thing that God wants us to have. So when we learn something new, when you learn something new about the Lord, don't be content to just hear somebody's testimony or read some story about it or hear some preacher talk about it. Find a way into that experience. Find a way to test it out for yourself. Make it yours. Because until we've made it yours, it's not ours. Until you've experienced yourself, you hear about other people, but once you've experienced yourself, then you might run into people and say, God's not doing that anymore. You go, oh yeah, he did it for me. <laughs> I've seen it done and you own it that way. So that's an important part of it. On the other hand, some people get so caught up in the spirit of things and all what I call woo-woo spirituality sometimes that they completely disconnect from the truth and it leads to all kinds of different heresies and things like that. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. Spirit and truth, knowledge and experience. We need both as we grow and relational learning with the Lord. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In order to live led by the Spirit, we also have to choose, in order to live by the Spirit, we also have to choose to live led by the Spirit. In order to live by the Spirit, we have to choose to live led by the Spirit, led by his promptings, led by his nudges, led by his insights, led by the revelations that come from a growing base of experiential knowledge about God and his ways. In Romans 8, Paul said that those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And we can say and think what we want about our status as the children of God, but the fruit in our lives will reveal the truth. And bottom line, every moment of every day, we get to choose Will we be led by the Spirit, or will we be led by something or someone else? So this weekend, I'm going to talk about living led. I think we're all born with a God-given desire to live loved, as well as with a God-given need to live led. And have you noticed that the instinctive need to live led is not unique to humans? From ants to geese to elephants, the necessity and benefits of leadership so that there can be order is on display. Uh, the sidewalk that leads uh, from this building up to the street goes all the way to the parking lot, and sometimes I come in that way, and there's a stream of ants over the last uh, month or so that have been making their way from somewhere in the courtyard all the way to Goat Creek Road. Now, you talk about a long line of ants. I mean, it, it is serious work. I mean, it's a, it's a good little walk up the steps right there, but these ants, think about that. I mean, just steady, constant, following each other, and, and uh, geese, one of the things I love about geese is they, they demonstrate a shared leadership model. So somebody gets on the point and flies a while, but when they get tired, they rotate around and somebody else gets to the point. And I was doing a little bit of look into elephants, and elephants actually model uh, matriarchal leadership, women in leadership. So, I mean, it, there's all different kind of styles. It's not just humans that need to be led. It's demonstrated all through nature. And the reality is we are all living led by something or someone all the time. The tyranny and the lawlessness that gets created by and results when we set aside and move away from God's standards and everybody just does what's right in their own eyes, affirms within us and for all to see, we have a profound need to be led. These verses highlight the ongoing battle for that place of leadership between the desires of our sinful nature and the desires of the spirit. God's heart is for everyone to choose to live led by the spirit. Without any doubt, living led by the spirit is the best, the healthiest, the most satisfying and fulfilling way to live life on this planet as well as for the rest of eternity, I expect. The two basic requirements. First, 
you must be born again. We can't live led by the Spirit without surrendering the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Most of the time in a church service, the majority of the people there have already given their life to Christ. It's a gathering of Christian believers. But maybe you're here this morning and you've showed up on a Sunday and you haven't done that yet. And what I want to encourage you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you haven't surrendered the control of your life to Jesus, God brought you here for a reason and a purpose this morning, and there is no reason to leave without making that decision. Today's the day. Today's the day. You're, you're trying to make it on your own, and it's not working out very well. You, you're trying to live led by something or someone other than Jesus and by the Spirit of God, and it's not working out. And the invitation is open. Give your life, surrender your life to Jesus. And watch and see what happens. You can come to the front at the end. We'd have some people that will pray with you about that. But actually where you're sitting right now, you could just say, okay, Lord, I give up. I'm, I'm not going to keep living my own way for my own self. I give control of my life to you. Come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Just something like that. It's not magic words, but just something like that. And everything can change in a moment in the spirit. And if you pray that sometime during the service before we get to the end, come to the end and let us pray with you. Let us celebrate with you about that. But I encourage you, if you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. When Linda Findlay got up Wednesday morning, she didn't know she was going to meet Jesus a little bit after that. She was just going about her normal day, but then she was gone. And that's the truth for all of us. We live like we've got forever and a day. And, and you, we just don't know. So you might as well secure that part because heaven and hell are real places. And when this life is finished, you'll end up in one place or the other. And it depends on the relationship that we have with Jesus. So I just want to encourage you. Hell was not created for human beings, but you can go there if you try to live your own life your own way and don't surrender your life to Jesus. So this morning, if you never made that decision, today's the day. Time change day. Fall back. Do something different. Give your life to Christ today. Must be born again. Second requirement is holding on to and cultivating a willingness to follow. Holding on to and cultivating a willingness to follow. Living led by the Spirit is more than just professing to be a Christian. Living led by the Spirit is an elevated lifestyle. It's a journey of dialogue and discovery that's available to every true disciple and follower of Jesus. In his sovereignty, God has built several givens into this relationship. He's love. He's faithful, even when we're faithless. He's good. He's an ever-present help in our times of need, which is all the time. He's patient, persistent, merciful to the core. Also in his sovereignty, God has built a lot of hidden things into this relationship. And those hidden things require us to stay current and active in our relationship with God. Jesus taught about the importance of asking, seeking, and knocking. In the New King James Version, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there are real conversations involved in the process of living led. That's the way God intended for us to deal with what turns out to be a predictably unpredictable adventure, full of opportunities to get better acquainted with God in his ways. Sometimes, sometimes, man, something really cool happens. We hear from God and we get it right the first time. I mean, those are glorious, glorious times. I mean, you hear me, you just do it, bam, you just nail it, knock it out of the park the first time. More often than not, it takes several tries to understand and master the lesson at hand. But all along the way, God brings us into encounters and situations designed to help us learn and better recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. There'll be a lot of different circumstances where we can learn and practice trust and quick obedience as God teaches us this invaluable discernment 
Recognizing and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The law is there to counter and limit the destructive consequences of living by the desires of our sinful nature. Those desires can be outright carnality, but because deception is very deceiving, we often try to justify our position and our proposition and our participation in things that are rooted in sinful nature. Sometimes we try to cover them by embracing forms of godliness. Uh, People have embraced Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, all the other isms. Those are forms of godliness. They're looking for something, but they won't find it there. Also, there's a lot of people in various forms of Christianity that uh, are antagonistic to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and they're not going to find it there. There, It's a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. But without continual choices to live led by the Spirit, we will get disconnected from the power that produces true godliness. And that's a miss. Now, sure, we may practice good morals. We may even be faithfully doing random acts of kindness. But all of those things are poor substitutes for true godliness. And in fact, they're really just another expression of doing what seems right in our own eyes. When we're led by something else, we may have a persistent pursuit of new knowledge and enlightenment, but our applications will lead us to the wrong conclusions. And if we make enough wrong conclusions, in his mercy, God will allow us to run headlong into the law. Also, when we're led by something else, we may always be learning, but we lose our ability to recognize and acknowledge the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he also said, if you hold to my teachings, then you're really my disciples. And then, if you really hold to my teachings and you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Yeah. When... When we're led by something else, there's really just one healthy thing to do. Repent. Repent. Repentance breaks the cycle of being conformed to desires of the sinful nature. When we humble ourselves and turn to God, he's always right there ready to forgive us, cleanse us, and launch us back into the journey of living led by the Spirit. Repentance is a normal and regular part of living led by the Spirit. Now, I want to say we don't have to sin. On the other side of giving our life to Christ, we don't have to sin. In fact, it's kind of an unnatural thing to give in to that side of who we are. Once we've set Jesus on the throne of our lives, to knock him off the throne and put ourselves there in sin. That, it's, 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 it's unnatural. We don't have to. But we do have free will, and it gets in the way. And if we choose to step to the left or the right and miss the mark, repentance opens the way for our bent towards independence to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that renewing empowers us to have new and better paradigms for our daily perceptions and decisions. The conflict between what the spirit desires and what the sinful nature desires, it's very real. And in the midst of it all, God desires to work into us the ways of righteousness and holiness. Sometimes there are times in our life when it's like God will put us in this protected little greenhouse. And it's just like he's got us right there and we're shielded from all the craziness of life. But more often than not, it seems like he puts us out in the field. He plants us out in the open, in the midst of all that's going on. And so in that place, he's working in us. And Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Just a few sentences later, Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And righteousness can be defined as right standing with God. 
But the specific Greek word that Jesus used means having an equity in character and actions. Having an equity in character and actions. Religiosity is a poor substitute for having equity in our character and actions. Religiosity often expresses itself with zeal and passion. And religiosity isn't limited to things of the church. There's a spirit of religiosity that's taken over the whole green movement. There's a spirit of religiosity that's taken over all the talking points about abortion right now. There's a spirit of religiosity that's taken over all the COVID disruptions and all that. There's so much. I mean, people have the religious zeal for it, even things that aren't religious in themselves, but that spirit works. And ultimately, I think what happens if you get under the influence of a religious spirit, it'll make you mean. It just makes you mean. Because religiosity is actually just another expression of doing what's right in our own eyes. And when we're under the influence of religiosity, we are living without a need to be led. We got the zeal of our passion. We believe it. We're going for it. We're doing whatever it takes. But we're not living led. We're in our own strength. And none of us are exempt from being influenced by some form of religiosity. So we all need to keep pursuing a clearer understanding about the kind of righteousness that Jesus meant for us to hunger and thirst after because only that kind of righteousness leads to holiness and freedom. Ephesians 4 describes the process of getting that kind of righteousness. It involves taking off our old selves, being made new in the attitude of our minds, and then allowing God to dress us in a fresh new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God wants to dress us for success by renewing us from the inside out. And he faithfully and consistently works on our character and on our conduct in order to accurately reproduce his character and his ways in us. Receiving the new fresh self opens up an entirely new way of living. It's a God-fashioned life, a life where we experience the freedom God has always had in mind for each one of us to know. Now, not surprisingly, a good deal of what the world purports to be and promotes as freedom actually makes the list here in Galatians 5 that Paul defined as the acts of the sinful nature. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. And I warned you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a pretty straightforward list, uh, but it's worth noting that Paul's list leads off with what the Passion calls sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, and pornography. We're living in a day when an overt effort is being made to groom and destroy this generation, as well as the generations that are to come. And the grooming and the destruction is with what the Message Bible calls a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Sadly, under the current leadership of our nation, there has been a significant increase in the infiltration and the distribution of this garbage on so many levels and from so many angles, which makes it all the more important for each one of us to keep the door to sexual immorality firmly closed in our individual lives and in our homes. Including other things to be avoided and not tolerated is idolatry, chasing after things instead of God. In the passion, witchcraft is connected to manipulation and a footnote even adds the Greek word for witchcraft can imply 
drug usage. Here's the rest of the list in the passion. Hatred of those who get in your way. Senseless arguments. Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums. Angry quarrels. Only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinions. Being envious of the blessings of others. Murder, uncontrolled addictions and drunken binges. Wild parties and all other similar behavior. Now maybe if you've made it unscathed through the NIV version and the passion, let me read the message to you. (laughs) Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. And then it says, I could go on, but that's probably enough. Beyond all the natural consequences and costs of these behaviors, there's a bigger issue at hand, namely our participation in any of the stuff that made any of the lists hinders our ability to live out inheritance in the kingdom of God. The choices we make now matter in this life as well as in the life to come. And since the creation of the world, there has been a kingdom inheritance prepared for us and that inheritance is accessible today. We don't have to wait to heaven to get all the good things that God has in store for us. When we're living led by the Spirit, we have the opportunity today to access those things. When we're living led by the Spirit, we can draw them down into our lives. When we're living led by the Spirit, we can experience the spiritual reality of living in the enhanced favor and blessing of God. And when we're living led by the Spirit on earth as it is in heaven can be part of our life now. Now there's a similar list of inheritance blockers in 1 Corinthians 6 and there it specifically says that some of the people Paul was writing to had been living their lives based on the desires of the sinful nature. But God, because of God's redeeming mercy and love, None of those bad behaviors need to be disqualifiers or permanent stains on our identity. 1 Corinthians 6.11 reads like this in the Amplified. That is what some of you were once, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit of our God. Of course, the Amplified expands it out. That is what some of you were once, but you were washed, purified by the atoning sacrifice of Christ for sin. You were sanctified. You were set apart for God and made holy. And you were justified. This is powerful. Declared free of guilt. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. While we can easily become fascinated with moments of revival, when we have that moment washed, sanctified, justified, it's a a moment. I believe God is more focused on the complete reformation and transformation of individuals, people, groups, and nations. And to that end, every born-again believer has already been given a deposit (coughs) of the fullness of God's character. And we call that life-changing deposit the fruit of the Spirit. 
Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Over the last uh, nine weeks before this, in the nursery, uh, the little kids were learning about the fruit of the Spirit. Victoria was teaching them about one of them, a new one each week, and working through. You know what they did for self-control? For self-control, they took a bubble machine in there, and they got the bubbles all going. They said, you can pop any of the bubbles that you want. Just get them all. You know, the kids are just loving, loving, loving it. Now we're going to talk to you about self-control. Sit down. They turn the bubble machine. You can't touch the bubbles. You can't even pop them if they land on you. I don't know how many of us would have passed that test, but they said that the... But they said that the kids loved it and ate it up. Listen, the Amplified describes the fruit of the Spirit as the work which the Holy Spirit's presence within us accomplishes. This Greek word for fruit can also be translated harvest. So in other words, when we're living led by the Spirit, these kind of attributes, actions, and responses should be more and more evident and on display in our lives as the Holy Spirit accomplishes the work of releasing various expressions of agape love into and through every part of our being. And fortunately for us, the Holy Spirit is a brilliant and creative, patient and persistent, thorough and competent teacher. Because most of the time we find out how we're doing in our development when we get squeezed. That's when we find out what's really ours versus what we think we have because we know the vocabulary for it. Again, The 18-inch drop from head to heart is so huge. It's a game changer. Things that we just know in our head when life gets crazy, when we get squeezed, they're not there for us. It just becomes part of the confusion and the jumble. But things that we've known, things that we've experienced, things that we've tasted and seen of the goodness of God that are our story, that are ours, when life gets crazy, those are the things that we can center down on. You know, if you squeeze a banana, you know what comes out of banana? Banana, right? And so... Of course, in moments of pressure, testing, and stress, it's always so encouraging when out of us comes the fruit of the Spirit. I'm, somebody's talking terrible to me, and I respond with love and kindness. Yay. I mean, those are the moments. Yeah, I'm getting squeezed, but I'm responding in the fruit of the Spirit. But you know, sometimes when we get squeezed, something else shows up. Maybe even some of the acts of the sinful nature. But we don't need to despair because God already knew it was there, and he's not surprised And in his mercy, he has now allowed us to see it. Sometimes these squeezes are necessary to bring a more truthful self-awareness. God loves us too much to leave us like we are. And he knows better than we do that our blindness to faults and immaturities often cause us to resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes these squeezes are necessary to accelerate the process of getting more of the sinful nature out of us. Once that space is cleared, God can fill up the void with a fresh stirring up of the fruit of the Spirit. Reformation means out with the old, in with the new. So when we have any of these sinful nature things show up, know this, there is grace in the moment for an out with the old, in with the new exchange. There's no need to be embarrassed. Instead, just say no to shame. Repent and ask God for and receive the exchange. Galatians 5.18 says, if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. And here in verse 23, Paul added that there's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. There's no need to set a limit on putting any of these attributes into practice. And there's no danger of overdoing any of them either. Because the same God who gave us the law also sent the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Spirit produces a lifestyle that's in harmony 
with God's law. A New Living Translation footnote added this excellent point. A person who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit fulfills the law far better than a person who observes the rituals but has little love in his or her heart. Let me finish up with a couple more things to consider. First, I don't think that the order of the fruit of the Spirit is random. It starts with agape, God-like love, and then it springs forth from there. So as we think about these nine characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think it's best to see them as circular and not linear. So what starts with love can work its way all the way through to become a full expression of self-control. Now, when you get to that point, that's not the end of the journey. That's just the end of the lap. Now to be time to take another lap. They work together like that. They build on each other. I also think, secondly, that these traits hold on to each other as they build into each other. So, for instance, without love, we never really can know joy. And it's love and joy together that create the context for finding true peace in our lives. And when we exercise patience and goodness, that helps develop and overflow within us a kindness. They have a way of creating that as they're working together in harmony in us. And, and when we let faithfulness and self-control shape our lives, gentleness, our gentleness will be evident to all. And by the way, that word for gentleness can mean humility or meekness. And I think it's best to understand humility as agreeing with God. And meekness isn't weakness, it's strength under control. And when we allow faithfulness and self-control to shape our lives, gentleness shows up on our plate. All the traits and dimensions of the fruit of the Spirit that we'll ever need are already inside of us. All of them that we'll ever need for any circumstance or situation. If you've given your life to Christ, the deposit is made, it's already inside of you. The issue is learning how to effectively live and move and have our being expressed in these ways, how to draw on them. And we must in order to do that, keep choosing to live led. When we're living led by the Spirit, we just need to keep following His lead. We just need to keep following His lead. Don't have to make it up. Don't have to pretend. If you don't see what He's doing, wait. Follow His lead. Live led. And that'll keep us actively learning how to better release all this precious love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous self-control that's already been given to us. Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your generosity. Thank you that you didn't just leave us here after Jesus did what he did and said, okay, y'all figure it out for yourself. That no, you, you've sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is so willing to lead us into righteousness and into holiness and into freedom. And so, Lord, we just pray you just keep drawing our heart to the pursuit, opening our ears to hear the voice of the Spirit. Help us be quickly responsive. Help, help our eyes to see and our ears to hear the things the Spirit is speaking and saying and doing all around us every day. And not just in things that we would think of as spiritual. You're, you're involved in everything we do. Every decision we make, you're there willing to lead us and to help us and to guide us. 
So we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, you don't give up on us and the way you just keep working with us and for your persistence to draw us and conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. And, and I pray this a lot, but I wanna just pray to you. Lord, you are worthy of some people on the planet living for you like that. You are worthy of some people who day after day, moment after moment, choose to live led by the Spirit. And we wanna be some of those. And we thank you for that opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.